Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. Whether I'm dominating the world or the world is dominating me, I'm grateful. I hope you agree with me and Zach Anner on that one. This is episode number 107. Hello there. Yes, you. Hello. You specifically, thanks for cranking up this episode and giving me your first or latest spin through your ears, rattling, percolating around your wonderful brain. I, my brain is still in overdrive. I'm freshly back from my fourth World Domination Summit event. That uh, that Zach Anner quote that I just dropped a moment ago, that was something that he's told a thousand folks like me on the main stage. Just amazing stuff. I mean, the action in Portland, Oregon, magical once again this year. It included me doing weird, funky, invigorating things. Like, I played pat cake yoga with a man in an inflatable T-Rex costume. I'll let you take a mental picture of that one. There's, of course, a story behind it. Uh, I went deep on voluntary simplicity, had great conversations around death and dying. Uh, I even managed to convince seven of my friends to meditate with me for five minutes in the middle of the dinner, and they actually enjoyed it. Uh, the craziest, most thrilling, meaningful things and thoughts, they come out of WDS every year, and you best believe I'll be back in Portland from July 13th through the 17th in 2017. Maybe I will see you there. But uh, just as WDS is one of the many places I get my crazy, meaningful thrills from, another reliable way to make such things happen is having a chat with a man I love and a person who is just as jazzed about our blossoming bromance as I am. His name is Warren Talbot. He's my guest for this episode, and you may actually remember him from episode 36, where I chat with both him and his wife, Betsy. Now, Warren continues my recent theme of second conversations with past guests. I've already had them with Charlie Gilkey, uh, Courtney Carver, uh, and a few more very fine folks are coming up that I know you will be stoked to hear from again, or maybe it's just the first time. Uh, there are, I'll just mention about the episode itself, there are a few points where Warren sounds like he's talking from inside a cave, which he's been known to actually do. He and his wife house it in a house that's built into a cave in Spain from time to time. I just have to say it's absolutely worth pushing past a little choppiness in the conversation because it is so darn good. And if you're a regular listener, you might be wondering, what's what's going on with your voice? I'm about 80% back after coming back from WDS. I got a pretty wicked cold the first day, and I just steamrolled my way through it for the next five days. I did not treat my body with respect, and I paid for that for a little while. There's a little extra berry white, a little extra gravel in my voice right now. But hey, I think I still sound okay, at least. Now, for the episode, we are we discussed we discussed a lot. Ooh, covered ground. We discussed how to borrow bravery when you're coming up short. 
why Warren's just constantly asking himself, hey, uh, what's the worst that can happen? We talked about how I find gratitude opportunities, even when there isn't a growth opportunity alongside of it, and how Warren and I became I love you friends. We go into more, but I say, you and me, let's ride the bull together, baby. Here we go. Get up, get going, and lasso life by the horns, everyone, because my guest for this episode is none other than my proverbial brother from another mother, Warren Talbot. Besides a mutual fondness of spreadsheets and nonstop no BS talk, Warren and his wife Betsy have made a name for themselves with their popular website and podcast, An Uncluttered Life, their rather revealing books, like a personal favorite of mine called Married with Luggage, and for helping thousands of people get their plan A life. If you want to marry your dreams, vision, and goals, hook your wagon to Warren's and let him use his years of experience saving, decluttering, and traveling so you can have more space, time, and money to fuel your best life. Warren, I am as happy as a rodeo clown to welcome you back to the show. (laughs) You know what? I am steering your direction. That's how I feel about it, Joel. By the way, are rodeo clowns actually happy? They've got a painted-on semi-smile on their face to draw a bull's attention, but I don't know how excited they are to be in the ring with a bull. Since I was five years old, I've always believed that they are the happiest people on the planet, that basically Santa Claus looks to them for happiness inspiration. I don't want to destroy that. So if there are rodeo clowns listening, uh, please do not send me your sad tales. I don't want to know. I need to keep this alive. All right. And as people who are listening might uh, interpret here, you have aspirations or at least a dream of uh, maybe some serious rodeo clown action at some point in time. That's why I reference it. Absolutely, yeah. And I talk about it quite a bit, yes. <laughs> well, for, for folks, I know some people who are just hearing you for the first time, they don't get you. I'll try to refrain from the inside jokes or at least create things that could be inside jokes because you are um, a, a vibrant man who's got a lot of nuance to you as well. And, and we're going we're gonna to pull on some of those threads. I figured we'd start our chat. This is going to be a bit different than a typical one. Uh, we were talking before we started recording, and I said, I don't even necessarily have a theme for our conversation. I just think so much of you, and you're so fantastic, and your insight is just so super duper that my goal is to just talk. And whatever we talk about, I have confidence that it's going to be valuable, whether it's philosophically or actionably for everybody else who's listening. And that means uh, I'm going to skip the what I normally do, the seeds of awesomeness, because you and Betsy covered that back in episode 36 of Smart and Simple Matters. If people want a little bit more of your historical context, they can go back and get it. We, we might get some of that just in the course of our conversation. But perhaps, perhaps we talk about you know, one of the things that we were emailing back and forth on. And when I said, Warren, come back on the show. I love you. I want to have you here. I want to feature your voice, your brain again. You're talking about trying new things and how yes. that changes your life. That is a sweeping generality. Here's a new thing. Perhaps you should try it. It may change your life. Of course, everything that you do changes your life in some way. Sometimes it's not even noticeable, but each new thing that you do is going to, by definition, change the direction of your life. 
who you associate with, what kind of food that you eat, the work that you do, the way that you think. So maybe it's traveling to a new country. You could be exploring mentally some kind of new concept that you're fascinated by. Maybe you're rocking it at 3D printing. All these different things, they allow you to grow in unexpected ways. For starters, is there something that you have in your mind that's important to know or do when you start out with something new? I think the, the key, and, and I think I'm going to take even a step back from that, because before I try something new, I understand and, and look at it and appreciate that it is going to, that I'm going into it with the right attitude. That instead of going into it with fear and trepidation and worry and, ooh, this is gross, whatever it might be, I walk in and say, huh, this is interesting. I wonder what this is like, and I wonder where this can take me. And I feel like that's the first step because we bring in so much of our internal historical baggage to everything we do, a new type of food, a new country, a new experience, all of those things, we bring that with us. So we sit down and we aren't able to – we're trying the new thing, but we're not appreciating the new thing. So for me, the first step has always been – to make myself kind of step out of all those preconceived notions, sit down, to eat that cricket, even though I know that it's probably something I'm not going to become, a de- it's not going to become a delicacy, but to say, huh, this is something that someone decided was good enough that they sh- they're going to eat it and it's going to be a part of their diet. So I'm going to try it and see what it's like and take that leap to see where it goes. And I think that's the most important thing that we can do Because every time we can bump out our comfort zone a little bit more, life becomes more interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned a cricket because there are billions of people around the world who eat crickets. And it's not a, whoa, this is weird. It's, nope, this is what I do and this is what my ancestors have been doing for thousands of years. I eat insects. And we, you know, in America or Western culture, we look at it and a lot of us think, ooh, that's that's gross. And I'm actually, there's a tremendous uh, podcast episode uh, called Rewild Yourself, one of my favorite podcasts besides yours and Betsy's, of course, and An Uncluttered Life. I'm going to link to an episode in the show notes about insects and eating them and how we, in a Western mindset, can wrap our brains around the fact that this is not gross or a new thing. It's actually something that we've been doing as humans for so long, and now we're just starting to reintegrate it into our brains and maybe even onto our plates. So the reason I mentioned that is because, so you mentioned when you get started with something, you have an appreciation for it, you get curious about it. Hey, I wonder what that would be like. Do you ever go back beyond you and look at from a human perspective what's the context of this thing is it is it really new is it really scary have we as a species been doing it forever and this just so happens to be the first time that me as an individual that i'm attempting it or that i'm thinking about it no i never get to that metaphysical layer i may not maybe i'm not that deep i don't know but i uh i usually stick it at the level of which i say that this is different for me because i you know whether it's the people, everybody I talk to talks about something that they're scared of doing, something they haven't tried, something they want to do, but they are hesitant about it for some reason. And what I've found again and again is that the, the challenge is, is that it's scary for them. So they have to get over their own things. And it's just like that for me. You know, anytime I like, for example, I was telling you before that I'm, my wife and I are thinking about taking some dance classes. So you know, we live here in Spain and we're going to another we're going to spend a couple months in another part of the country and going to a dance class and taking it in Spanish. And I'm nervous, not because of the language, but because the idea of dancing. 
I don't know that it would help me to get over that fear by knowing that we've been dancing for, you know, since the dawn of time. What helps me to overcome it is to recognize what I'm going to get out of it. No, I have to look at all of those other experiences that I have done in the past that have been scary and that I made through, made it through and realize that, okay, I can do this one too. So Chris Brogan talked about this idea of borrowing bravery. And I feel like that has helped me more than ever looking back on the historical context of humanity. Borrowing bravery. I'm not, I, I know about Chris Brogan, but I don't know about this concept. How does it work? So the idea is you've done something in the past. So let's say that you want to go outside the country for the first time. So, all right, so that's really scary, and it's worrisome because you don't know what's going to happen on the other end. What's the airport going to be like? How am I going to get around? Am I going to camp? I mean, everything starts to come at you. So what you do is you take a deep breath and you say, okay, when was the last time I tried something new? What was that? All right, so maybe I went to a new restaurant and I ordered something that I didn't even know what it was. I had no idea. I didn't ask what it was, and I just said, I want to try it. And how did that feel? How did it feel when it came to the table? What was the worst that happened? Maybe you didn't like some portion of it, or maybe you found out you loved it. So now you were you can look back on that moment, even though it's so small, you can pull from it a little bit of bravery and recognize what you got out of that bravery and now apply that to the concept of where you're going to, going to go travel outside the country. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you? I'm sure there's times where you've done that, Joel, where you've kind of stepped outside your comfort zone and you needed to look back on something that you've done in the past and say, I can do this too. Oh yeah. One of my favorite questions. So I'm right now, one of my favorite things to think about is how to ask better questions. How do we ask each other better questions? And especially how do I ask myself better questions so I can improve my internal dialogue? And I've been dropping this question that uh, my buddy, Christopher Carter, he he normally goes by Casey of This Epic Life. Um, he said it, I think, in a webinar maybe a couple years ago, and I picked up on it, and I, I can't stop thinking about it. And the question that he asks himself that now I ask myself really frequently is, what if I've been preparing for this moment my entire life? So that's as opposed to why should I be freaking out right now, whether I'm doing public speaking or there's a cricket on my plate or anything else, like out of all the reasons that I should be fearful or paralyzed or overwhelmed or shut down right now, instead of thinking about that, what if I've been preparing for this moment my entire life? What if all of the relationships, the experiences, the skills, the knowledge, everything up until this point has been getting me ready for the thing that I'm about to do right now? And I won't say that it always works, that I'm like, oh, well, of course, of course I'm ready for this because I've been preparing for this moment my entire life, even though I didn't know about it. But being able to ask myself that question has a lot of power. And the brain just responds really different. Uh, I'm not really a positive affirmation kind of guy. Like, you could do it. Let's do this. It's, it's Agreed. Like, I can do this, and here's why. I need to have that, oh. and here's why part. And then whether it's at the subconscious level or the conscious level. So that, that's what I've been thinking about uh, a lot lately when it comes to trying new things. Wow, that is a deep, that is some deep metaphysical stuff right there. Because I, you know, as, as you were going through there, I had all these ideas. I was thinking, man, we could have a whole nother podcast, just you and me riffing on this for hours and talking about this particular concept and where it could take you. Because there's some areas where I disagree with you on that because it's, it seems like it puts a lot of weight and a lot of pressure upon trying those things. But at the same time, it forces you to move forward. 
which is the biggest challenge with our comfort zone, is the comfort zone is there to kind of restrict us and hold us in. Whereas if you can break it out of it, and it's a mental problem. It's not, it's not, there's literally no binds that are holding us in. But if you can break out of that, whether that be through you know, the positive affirmation or be through asking yourself challenging questions or thinking about it in terms of and borrowing bravery, whatever that approach is, I feel like that's what's necessary in order for us to try those new things that have us a little scared. Yeah. Yeah, having an edge to it, having some anxiousness or some nervousness, that's not bad. Like, no. That's something that you can harness and be like, oh my goodness, every <laughs> nerve ending in my brain is on edge right now and I may be freaking out, but it's kind of nice and I think things are going to work better as a result of it. Well, you brought up something really important there, Joel, which is that trying new things, going out and doing something different, those things are, and I, maybe I messed up by using the word bravery in there. You know, bravery is not this idea that I am not scared of things. The bravery is the idea that we do things in spite of our fear. And I, you know, anybody that has ever, you know, you look at and you say that they're a hero and you see the news reports and you hear them talking and they always ask, were you scared? And the person typically says, yes, I was scared. Oh, my God, I ran into that burning building. Of course I was scared. But I did it anyways. Were you scared the first time that you, you know, took off and tried a new food, that you asked a girl out, that you explored something that you had never done before? But it's because we do it that our, our little comfort zone says, all right, fine, I'm going to bump out a little bit. You, you got me there, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself feel a little bit better. I think that's the piece is getting beyond that, doing it in spite of the fear and talking yourself into it. Hmm. So let me ask you uh, when it comes to doing it in spite of it, are there... Uh, things that you repeat in your head, or maybe even that you say out loud, maybe you talk to them with Betsy, your wife, or what are the what are the reoccurring things, questions or statements that are going through your mind that help propel you forward, whether it's in a, a new business opportunity that you have, or uh, maybe you decide, do I really want to cave sit? And yes, you you don't just house it. You actually cave sit in Spain. Yeah, and, exactly. And- we'll be doing it uh, again in another five weeks. So it's pretty exciting. I am going back into the cave. Uh, it's uh, trogloditos. Uh, trogloditos. Uh, that's very exciting for us. So knowing the word as well in Spanish is exciting. So, But um, yeah, I think what I do again and again is that I always ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Like the like, give yourself permission. Like I always give myself permission to just say, you know, what was going to happen if this doesn't go right? You know, if I decide. So you know, we've talked in the past, Joel. You know me quite well. You know that um, several years ago, um, my wife and I sold everything and decided to travel around the world. Well, what was the worst that could happen? And we went through some pretty hellish ideas of what the worst that could be. And then I would ask myself, well, how realistic is that? If I start this business and it doesn't go well. Am I gonna? Am I gonna become you know destitute? Am I not gonna be able to eat? Am I not gonna be able to you know put clothes on my back? I mean, how bad is it gonna be? And I, I always ask myself that. And so when you ask, you know, are there a series of things? I would say that that is the mantra that I go by for everything I try, and that's for every little thing. When I go out and I open my mouth to speak Spanish to people. I'm always asking what's the worst that can happen because my Spanish isn't great. It's to the point where I can have a conversation. But the worst that can happen is I can look like an idiot. The worst that can happen is my business could fail and I could be forced to go do something else. That is the mantra. And I'm curious from your perspective if you've ever done it and how it's worked for you. Well, hold on a second. 
if we, if I may, uh, and, and, and I may actually, I'm giving, I'm giving myself yeah, exactly right. yeah. I may, Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I would, I would like to know, have you ever asked yourself that question? What's the worst that can happen? And then you've actually answered it, whether you've written it down or whatever it may happen to be. And then what ended up happening was actually worse than what you thought was the worst that could happen. Oh, no. I'm very, very imaginative in my worst-case scenario. <laughs> okay. I mean, there are surprises. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are scenarios, you know, we've, um, you know, we've been in situations, we've been robbed, we've, been, uh, we've flown in and spent time in uh, countries where there's been a coup, we've been in the base of a volcano when interrupted. Those are experiences we would not have expected, but the worst-case scenario is it affected us. Didn't, I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't worse than what I had imagined. Um, you know, so, and again, that's the scenario is what's the worst that could happen to me? It's not what's the worst experience I could be in, but what's the worst that, what's the worst thing that will happen to me long-term? Hmm. Okay. And maybe that's the key right there is that you, you highlighted that and that's good is the idea that it's long-term, you know, being in a, um, in a coup is scary and it's very worrisome and you don't know, if, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, but you know, but now looking back, it's easy to see that, you know, it was weird and that's about it. Yeah, so. and it made one heck of a story. I know you didn't get one heck into of a, a story cruise so and that was... you'd have a story on the back end that you could write about it, in books like well, and it, that's, that's the key, is that that is right there. If you think about a lot of the crazy things that you've tried in life or that you want to try and haven't yet, it, even the worst case scenario in most of those situations is you're going to have a great story. Honestly, if you stand in front of a group of people and start speaking their language and you get it all wrong and they laugh at you and then they laugh at you and then they teach you the right way to say it and you spend all night doing that, I mean, now you've got a great story. A lot better story than the story of, oh, I sat in front of people and I spoke fluently to these people in French and it was perfect. It's a much better story when you screw up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I never asked myself that question. What's the worst that could go wrong? No, I don't believe that I ever have actually. And if I did... I think I'd really struggle with it. I remember even going back to, this is 2010, at the very beginning of my personal renaissance, and I was just grasping at new ways of thinking and being and doing. I think that was when I came across Tim Ferriss's book called The 4-Hour Workweek. And I was thinking, what's my life like beyond the corporate walls? And what kind of work do I want to do? And he had this exercise. It was specific to business, but it could certainly apply to anything else. And that was one of the core questions he asked, is basically like, answer that. What's the worst thing that could happen here on a scale of one to ten? How much does it hurt? What are what are the implications to your your bank account or to your relationships? And I never needed to ask that question because everything has always seemed to work out really freaking well for me. Uh, And I just perhaps it's the worst assumption that I've ever made in my life, but I have this assumption that things will continue to be amazing for me because they pretty much always have been. And I actually let other people suggest what's the worst thing that could happen. (laughs) And that's where I get my reality check. I don't think I have an internal director of common sense. And that's why I need people like you and people like my mastermind group and my wife and and other people who I know to be like, hey, dude, actually, that, that, that idea that you have here, this business idea or the fact that you want to homeschool your kids or move somewhere else for a while... That might not work for X, Y, Z reason. My brain just doesn't really go there because I just am operating under the assumption that it's not like I've got a magic wand and and everything is sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. But gosh, Warren, I I lead a life of such gratitude and privilege that things just seem to work out really well. 
I'm, I'm going to push on that a bit. I'm going to flip the tables here, and that's right. I'm doing it. That's right, Joel. I'm doing it. But if um, in that scenario, do you think that it's always worked out sunshine and rainbows, or do you think that mentally you have become very adept at able to make sunshine and rainbows out of whatever this experience has ended up as? Okay, that's a good distinction. I think objectively, at least as far as somebody outside of my brain, aka another human could see, my life has worked out pretty darn well. Um, And my perception versus someone else's perception would roughly align on the broadest strokes in terms of the health of my family, um, the health of my relationships outside of my family, the kind of work that I get to do. People would generally look at me and say, wow, dude, like, nice, (laughs) nice. How do you score that kind of a life? Uh, And you're right, internally in my head too, whether it's through gratitude rituals, which I've talked about in past episodes, um, continuous experimentation, which I'm with you, is I'm constantly pushing myself into new scenarios, into new relationships. Like, I want change. I want new. And I've been able to thrive a bit because I've found all these cool new concepts, all these new relationships. Uh, and I, I guess I just see them as not necessarily growth opportunities, but gratitude opportunities. Like, each new experience mm. that I have is an, uh, is an opportunity for me to be grateful, one, that I put myself in the position or that others have helped put me in the position that I can even have this new experience. And two, just going through it with kind of that curiosity that you talk about. And I've spoken in the past about how I'm so easily fascinated that it doesn't take much for me to see the world, to see um, my dog who's laying next to me, to go out for a walk with her and be like, whoa, this is really cool. I Just yesterday... I was out with my two boys, a little side story. I was out with my two boys, Grant and Clark, who are six and three at this point as we're recording. And we were going through some nature trails uh, about uh, three quarters of a mile away. We rode our bikes over there. And I was walking across a bridge in this kind of marshy area. And I stopped. The boys are throwing sticks and rocks into the pond. And I'm looking up in the sky. And I don't know how this happens. I don't know the physics of it. There are two clouds Two, two banks of clouds, I, could sh- I should say, one just slightly in the foreground, one slightly in the background, and they're converging on each other, which made no sense oh. to me because the prevailing winds should mean that the clouds should be gold. Move all in the same direction. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't happening at all. And I'm looking up at this, and I've, Grant, my six-year-old, is tugging at me like, hey, let's go play in the mud. And I'm like, dude, hold on. Look <laughs> up there. I I don't know if or like there's some um, invisible force making that happen, but whoa! And it was just drizzling at that point. It was just an amazing moment, and I could have focused on the fact that I was actually starting to get wet. <laughs> it had started raining again, just like it was earlier in the day, and it was really soupy and muddy around us too. But I'm looking up here and I'm thinking that is so cool that I get to experience that. So to go like back to that. your original question or prompt. Um, I, I think it's a combination. I think my, my parents have given me so much. My community has given me so much. And I think I've also grown a ton and I've given myself so much that things just work out. Part of who I am, part of what I've been given. There's a combination of the two. And I, you know, the, the challenge is, and this is, it gets to this proverbial question of the chicken and the egg, you know, am I happy because I am thinking I will be happy or am I happy because my circumstances make me happy? 
That is a really difficult question. And I would say that it applies to you as well and to all of us. Our mentality and how we approach situations, especially trying new things, that's the only thing holding us back. So if we can try new things and explore ourselves and see if it's something that's interesting, take a moment to appreciate a cloud formation. Take a moment to step outside yourself and to talk to someone, even though you're an introvert and it freaks you out to do it. All of these things, if you can break out of that mental cycle, get yourself in a place where you can try it and appreciate that it happened, then I feel like we start to grow and we start to move outside and get closer to the person that we want to be, and that's ultimately the struggle. And so I, I like the idea that you are spending time taking a moment to appreciate what you have and being aware of it. But I would challenge the statement to say that it's also because of that attitude that your life continues to come out well because you see the situations and the positivity of what's going to happen, not necessarily because the positivity happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, if I were to see, we're, myself, we're doing that deep fit metaphysical conversation, <laughs> anyways. It doesn't matter. We can't stop this. This is just in us. Steamroll, and we're just, we're, yeah, we cannot stop it. What we've set in motion, which is great. And, and to answer that question, why am I happy? I know why I'm happy. It's the abundance of amazing people that I have in my life, in addition to a number of other things. Like me and you, for example, we've talked in private, uh, and we've never met before in person. Nope. But we've cultivated such an incredible relationship over the last year, year and a half, that I can look you in the eyes across the world and say, Warren, I love you. And genuinely mean it. And I mean, I'm thrilled by the fact that we've got the kind of relationship where we can tell each other that, that we're I love you friends. It's still relatively rare. But the fact that I can say that to you, the fact that we can tell each other I love you, also gives so much to me because I can't do that with a number of other people. And it's that verbal acknowledgement and an honoring of the kind of relationship that we have, which makes me think, one, it's cool that we have that kind of relationship. And two, what it's built upon, what has preceded our experiences and our conversations, that is super cool as well. That's the kind of thing that when I think, why am I happy? It's because I have friends like you where we can have conversations like this, whether we're recorded or not, and we can tell each other, I love you. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that it it is a rare situation. And I think that that is something that if we can break out of the fear of being able to say it, because that was uh, that's honestly the hardest part, is just this mentality of saying it to another person. That may be the thing that people are trying to, you know, that we we really struggle with, is that saying I love you to someone for the first time. And to say in someone uh, that is your friend, that is weird. And so I think being able to say it, is in and of itself something that I have done in the last couple of years um, with you that is the first time. So that is something that I have tried. And now I am more comfortable with it and I am able to do it with the people that I really care about in life and letting them know how I feel about it. But you were my, uh, you were my first I love you. So, oh, really? I was you your first I love you friend? Yes, you were my first I love you friend. Oh, so, Warren. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> That is super duper cool. Um, it's super cool, cool for me because it's something that uh, is uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me. You know, of course, I tell my wife I love you, and I tell my my mom I love her. But I don't. I got I don't have a lot of people in my life that I would use that language with, and I never thought about it. But you made me think about it differently. You caused me to think about something, and I thought, well, what would this be like? 
And I went through my exercise. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen if I tell Joel I love him? Is he going to laugh at me? Nobody could, you know, but that's literally the absolute worst case scenario is Joel stops being my friend, which is a horrible scenario. Then I went through the listing of the possibilities of that happening and it didn't, and, you know, it doesn't come up and there's a register of a risk and then I can do it. But that's how my mind works. It is in this logical fashion. I wish it was more like emotional and I could say that I just follow my heart and whatever it goes, I follow, but I don't. I am incredibly logical in my thinking. So they, what's the worst that can happen is what I do. I did with uh, telling you I love you and I do it with uh, the decision of whether I am going to travel to Morocco, for example. Hmm. How many I love you friends do you have now? Um, including you? Sure. Two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So well. there's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it, um, I'm still guarded on that regard. It hasn't changed. I, I'm, I've tried it, and I'm comfortable with it with you and my other friend, but I, that's it. It's still a, it's also hard to cultivate that level of relationship. I think that's a, a big challenge over the age of, you know, I don't know what age, but it's always been hard to cultivate people at that level of relationship. There's a, a friend of mine that I know from this area, so we actually see each other in person occasionally, and they, you know, he's one of the people that I would say that it will morph into that, and because I can talk to him like I can't talk to other people, but that's usually what it is, is we can find somebody that I can talk with and be completely myself. That's when I know I've found it. Hmm. That's really awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think that I would have had the capacity, uh, let alone thinking about it, if it hadn't been for my first I Love You friend, uh, Erica, back in high school when I was, I think, 17. Uh, we had an amazing relationship. And one day, this is just part of who she is. She's like, hey, I love you. And I, th- and I thought about it. I'm like, wait you're a woman and I'm a man and we're not romantically involved and we probably never will be, but it feels right. Like, I want to say this too. I want to say, I love you. Cause I do like, I feel that. So I said it and I thought, Whoa, we're in a relationship where we love each other and we can tell each other that. Uh, and this is kind of going back to uh, for a previous episode that I did that I'll link to in the show notes about, um, how I've had challenges telling people in the past that I love them and why it's so important to me now to let the people know, who I do love, who I genuinely love, let them know, hey, I, I love you. And then normally I would get more specific about here's why. It's not just yeah. like this general sense of fuzziness and, and good vibes. I love you because you allow me to express myself in a way that nobody else does. I love you because you give me the best hugs for like half a minute and <laughs> nobody makes me feel more just enwrapped in lovingness than you do besides my wife, Melinda. Um, yeah, and, and I don't, it becomes increasingly more important for me. And it's not just about love. It's about um, how deep we can get, the kinds of topics that we can cover. Yeah. And, and I guess just being, to honoring the relationships that I have and verbally expressing what it means to me, whether it's around love or whether it's something else, that's become incredibly important to me. And I found, maybe this is just the circles that I run in, but people really love that about me is how I am very specific and I do it in a very intentional way and I do it repetitively. Here's the gift that you just gave me. I want to name it. I want to acknowledge it. And I want others to know if it's appropriate, the gift that you just did, you gave to me or you gave to the group or to the community that we're a part of. I'll have to think about that one a little bit more about whether other people 
think that it's as great as I do because that's one of the things that I enjoy the most about myself is being able to do that and have other people feel good. But I imagine I've created a lot of awkwardness that people just haven't mentioned to me. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think the issue is is that we have to understand, you know, there's the the book of the five love languages and the, um, I, I always forget, I'm horrible at remembering the uh, authors of books, but which is bad for an author. But still, um, this, uh, this book, it's all about the different ways that we give, that we want to receive love. And I think that that's the most important thing. You know, I like love by, I want to hear it. I want to hear it from other people. Um, my wife, Betsy, she wants to see it in the, in the t- deeds that I do for her. So I could tell her I love you a hundred times. I could give her a hug and kiss her a hundred times. But if I do dishes once, she knows that I love her. And that she gets it through acts of gratitude. And so understanding that, I think that's the key. And I feel like for you, that's, that's an element of it as well, is that I need to know how you want to hear love and how you want to be a part of it. And so being diving into that and knowing it about the people, you know, the people that you want to say I love you to, it's not just saying it. It's actually figuring out how they want to hear it. And I think that's a really important element as well. So the more I learn about you, the more we get to talk, whether it's publicly here on the podcast (laughs) discovering it or it's privately, it's an opportunity to actually know more about how I can be the person to show you those things and show you how I feel. That's great. What are, is there another conversation that you are initiating with your friends or your family where you seem to be the only one willing to go there first, but once you've gone there, everyone else says, oh, that's so great. Thank you for bringing me along. You're talking about just in the broadest sense, right? Sure. I mean, we all are known for certain things in terms of the ability to communicate in a certain way or to talk about something that no sure. one else is willing to. And then, you know, people are just, you can almost see them mentally wiping their brow like, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad that we can talk <laughs> about that now. Are you a regular catalyst for a certain type of conversations with people that folks just can't have with other people besides you? Well, there's two types of conversations I would say that that usually comes up. One is not probably uh, something that you normally talk about, but I like to talk about politics. I bring it up in a way that allows us to have an open dialogue. So I like mostly to talk about people that don't agree with me. So I spend a lot of time talking with people that don't agree with me, but I bring it up in a way that makes it so that let's ignore all our differences because we, you know, we could, we could argue about that and that's argued about everywhere, but let's talk about where we agree. And let's spend time doing that. When I, I feel like that has opened me up and made me a better person and made me aware, more aware of the world around me, whether that, again, I can do this with politics or religion or pretty much any of those topics you're not supposed to talk about. But the truth is, is that I like to learn. And I, so I feel like that has been the best thing that I can open up a dialogue and allow people to be honest and open with me about how they feel. And then allow and then be open to and receptive to how I feel, but not in a combative way, because I feel like that's number one. And then the other one is, is that I'm able to actually I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of known to be a little difficult to deal with, because if you come to me with a problem and you want and and I have to ask you up front, are you looking for help? Are you looking for me to do something? Are you just looking to vent? Because if you're looking for help, understand that I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone is, what are you doing about it? Hmm. I don't like this job. I don't like what I'm doing right now. I don't like my life. I don't like my partner. I don't, you know, whatever it is, what are you doing about it right now? And I am able to open up a dialogue 
and to get people to think about that. And these are usually one-on-one conversations. It's not a group conversation, but I found that if I, I love that. I love to be able to help people to think about things versus, you know, oh, you know, I don't have time to spend with my uh, my family. I don't have the money to do the things that I want. Well, why not? What are you doing with that money? What's going on? And so I feel like that's probably, that's my, my secret superpower. Nice. Well, I, I think an even bigger, I know other people who can do that. I'm not trying to discount the fact that that's amazing, Warren. But I know oh, of nobody who can just simply make a statement like, hey, let's forget all of our differences and discuss very rationally topic X, politics, sex, religion, sports. How do you, how does that work? Like, how can you just go into a conversation and be like, look, okay, I get it. There are some things that if we, we may see things differently, we have different backgrounds and experiences and mindsets. But for right now, at this moment in time, let's ignore all of our differences and discuss Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and who should be the next president of the United States. How do you get somebody to be on board, even though you're clearly already on board with that mindset? So giving away a little secret that I use, but it's the truth, is that um, I've traveled around the world and spent a lot of time in different cultures. And I have found one thing that is true, that is a truism. Every single parent wants something better for their child. I mean, you know, in every culture. And I'm not, I'm, and I'm not, I'm speaking in the broadest sense. I'm not trying to get down to the individual and find the one case where it's not true. But in every culture, parents want something better for their children. Parents want a, a better future, a brighter future. P- people worry about money and about being able to get along. They worry about asking girls out. They worry about the idea of what's going on and you know, next week and what's happening on social media. We are so much alike as humanity. But we spend our time arguing about the differences. And that is not what's interesting. What I found most interesting in my travels was finding out how we're alike. And, you know, oh, my God, you like French fries and I like French fries. Let's talk about French fries for a little bit. So we talk about French fries for a little bit. Now, how can you really argue about um, the difference between the immigration policy between two Candidates with someone, so you know, be really angry with a person that also loves French fries. I mean, come on, like <laughs> French fries. So finding those common grounds, but starting it from the idea of setting people's mindset. Because typically, what we do is we walk in and with our entrenched opinion, we say, "You're for uh, Clinton, and I know that you're completely 100% stupid and idiot." And then I am for Trump, and I am always right, and nothing he says can be wrong. And then the idea is now you've started a war. Instead of saying, oh, wait, we really all the same things, we ultimately want, you know, we just have slightly different perspectives of how we're going to get there. But we still want to be happy and we all want to be, you know, a little less stressed and have to not have to work so hard. And, you know, those are the things we worry about. So let's talk about it from that perspective. So it's like my little campaign inside my head to get back because I love to debate, but we can't, you can't debate someone who takes an ideological opinion. And that's usually what most conversations on these subjects are and that's part of the key you're not having a debate with somebody you're just having a conversation you're not trying to win an argument you're just trying to understand how did you get to this point where you feel that way or where you think this way like let me in your brain a little bit and let let, i want to try to understand this a little bit that's all you're really doing right yeah because that's the thing is though i will say that i actually do want to get into a debate but a debate in the sense of there is no winner 
You know, you, if you've taken debate classes, you know, being on the debate team back in high school, for example, you know, and the idea that you're forced to take an opinion, they just assign you an opinion and then you have to argue for it. And so that is the exact same way that I think about it. The idea is, is that I am not arguing to win. I'm arguing to learn. And that is the most important thing right there. I still think of it as a debate in my head, but I think of it as that this is the only way I know how to learn. You know, I will I will flip my position on any subject and argue against it because if I can get to a knowledge point that is deeper on the subject that we're talking about, and then I can connect with that person because I find that I learn so much in that process. And frankly, in every situation, I come out to be better friends with that person, to be closer connected with someone that I probably wouldn't have be connected with. And, you know, just so you know, I, you don't do this on Facebook. I never do this on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, so much nuance and context that's just lost. Yeah, this is a face-to-face conversation that I have with people. And I have found that it has changed my life and how I view the world um, and how I appreciate things. And I won't say that, you know, I don't, I would say almost never change my view on a subject, but I am more learned and aware of the subject so that when I meet someone new, I can apply that and be more sympathetic to their situation. I can be aware of where they're coming from rather than jumping to, oh, well, you're an idiot. You're just stupid because you don't agree with me. Well, that, that, that's, that's not productive. That's not the way that the future of our country and our world should run is just labeling people and saying they're stupid. They have reasons why they believe that. Figure them out. Talk to them, have a conversation, get more aware of it, and then appreciate life from their perspective and then see what you can do. And I think that that has helped me. Um, it made me happier. I'll say that. Yeah. So you're open to me trying to convince you that uh, the red wine that you drink and love is actually making you a worse conversationalist and slowly killing you? You're, uh, you're absolutely, you know, one of the things that I <laughs> I'm not enjoy true, about the world is the idea that everyone has really bad ideas. And sometimes those come through on the airwaves and podcasts. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, I, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, I, you're kind of reminding me a little bit of uh, another guest that I've had on the show, uh, another two-time guest, uh, Colin Wright. And uh, I think it was episode 25 where um, he he is just, when it comes to being able to talk about anything and to do it in a fair way, in a way that acknowledges our differences, but uh, but realizes that it's the things that bind us, which are so much more important. Some of what yeah. you're saying is reminding me a little bit about that. Um, I think something he talks about bridges being far more important than all the rivers we try to put between ourselves. So as opposed to trying to figure out how can how come we can't swim across that river, it looks dangerous. The thing that's between you and me, why can't we just create a bridge or walk across the existing bridge. And, and I was actually, this is a little side note, I was having a conversation with a new friend, Umaira, uh, at World Domination Summit in, in the, just a couple weeks ago. And she was talking about uh, well, one of my favorite topics, which is death and dying, and how <laughs> all of these people who are drowning downstream, all of the fear, all of the hubris, all of these things that are consequences of people's inability to talk or to reconcile the fact that they're going to die. Um, if we were to just build a bridge upstream and get people to walk across it, then we wouldn't have all these people drowning downstream. So th- those are that 
that analogy or that imagery of the bridge and the river or the stream and being able to walk across it, what divides us or what happens when you can't go across it and you try to find a different path and you end up just floating aimlessly or drowning in something. I think about these terms a lot and all the various things that we're unwilling to discuss because, um, because we just can't get from here to there or we don't think it's possible. So I'm really happy, Warren, that you are a guide for a lot of folks, a conversational guide to lead people into conversations that uh, they otherwise wouldn't be able to have, maybe even with anyone else besides you. I, I don't know if it is. I don't, you know, it, to me, it's just, it almost feels like a selfish thing because I enjoy it so much. And so it's hard to take any credit for it because I, it's something that I love and enjoy so deeply. But I, um, I appreciate the, the, the very nice statement. I will say that death and dying is actually one of my top favorite topics on it. Probably in my top four, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> wow. Wow. I, I love it. Anytime anyone wants to talk about it, whether it's from a religious context, a cultural context, historical, every single way to look at it is really intriguing to me. And I love initiating conversations, but I also love, like, if some random person walked up to me on the street and said, so, uh, uh, dude, uh, what's, uh, I don't know why I'm talking like I'm from New York now. <laughs> yeah, suddenly I'm like, well, who are hey, you? Hey, dude, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, what do you think about death and dying, huh? I don't even know if I'm doing a good accent. I'll have to ask my dad. <laughs> We're gonna, you're going to get more comments on your accent than anything else. <laughs> my dad's going to just shake his head and be like, son, son, did I teach you nothing about how New Yorkers speak? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to have that conversation. Okay, so death and dying is in your top four. What are the yep. other three in your top four? Um, I love to talk about the um, conscious decisions that we make, which I think are directly tied to that, but I know that it, do- it probably doesn't make sense there. I also really enjoy talking about, and I mean, this is just, you know, it's not a plug for the business that we're in because this is why we're in the business, is the I'm idea of going after. don't, by the way. The idea of going after. Amazing. Your, Life the life and what you've done with an uncluttered life, it deserves yeah. to be acknowledged. It deserves to be explored. So just talk well, about like, it however you want to talk about it. Well, I like to talk I, I love to talk about the idea of going after the life that you want because I think that what's interesting is in my head, all three of these are directly tied together. I was having a conversation with a friend today, and she was, uh, we were talking about death. You're one of the subjects that we just discussed. And it got into this whole conversation of, you know, I'm okay if I die tomorrow. And that's, that's a bizarre thing to say because it's not some, that's not normal. But I look at my life and I think that I do everything that I want to do. I, I try to live and do the things that are going to make me the most happy. And so I feel like I'm living my plan A life right now. I am living the life that I had wanted to live years ago. And doing that means that I'm okay. If death happens, all right, good. There's no, there's no regrets going on. There's no worries. And so those three subjects are very intertwined, and I love, just absolutely love to open up a dialogue on it. Okay, so that was making conscious decisions. Yep. Death and dying. Making death and dying and going after your plan A life. Going after your plan A life. What's the fourth one? Politics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is my dirty little secret. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's not so dirty. It's just, yeah, it's, a, it's one that I absolutely adore. And not because I want to convince anybody that my opinions or thoughts are right, but because of what we talked about earlier is this idea that I am constantly learning about it. And I find that it is a great window through which I can discover so much about people and about our own country. I mean, I, you know, I am an American, so even though I 
live outside America, I'm still very fascinated by how we choose our leaders and how people come to different decisions on all the different issues. And I find like I can learn so much. It's almost like my little my little passion, not politics as um, as the the medium by which we get elected, but the politics of how we come up with our thoughts on the individual issues. Mm-hmm. Wow, I would love to have a conversation at length on any of those things with you. I, time. I'm not sure we will. I have no doubt. Yes. Uh, let's talk spreadsheets now. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm Number kidding. five. <laughs> now that people who are still listening, which thank you, I know we've been a little bit wandery, but they do not want to hear about spreadsheets right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but by the way, can't. I will say that... Um, I have been experience curating my menus for quite a while now, and it has been a huge asset because I make I cook every day, uh, and I always forget what things that I really love to cook and what things Betsy really likes. And so in one of my experience curating spreadsheets is all of the dishes that I've ever made as well as how Betsy likes it and whether she likes it or not and all the things that she's ever mentioned that she wants me to cook in the future. I do all of that because of you. Wow. Uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know, Experience Curating is a book that I wrote in 2014 about how to put your life in spreadsheets. <laughs> There's more to it than that, of course. I'm giving it short shrift right now. Yeah, you because... really are. They, it will change your life. That's my theory. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, is there, uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you feel like we need to cover? The main, Well, one thing that I did want to mention is the idea that, and it's this point of when you try something new, you're half you have to put yourself in the mindset of being willing to do it. And so that means being saying yes to the opportunity that's in front of you and realizing that it's something that is going to be a little scary at first, but as you do it more and more, you're going to start to feel comfortable with it and it's going to move you closer to the life you want. But just because you try it doesn't mean you have to like it. I can tell you that having put a, you know, eaten crickets, I won't be changing my diet anytime soon. But it made me so much more appreciative. So every time a new food appears in front of me, I say, well, it doesn't look as bad as crickets. I think I'm going to try it. All right. You just need so, the right recipe. Just put it that's in, all the, it in is. a new spreadsheet. I'll get you one. I've got a good cricket recipe. Coconut oil Thanks, buddy. and a little bit of bacon, which, of course, will do wonders <laughs> well, for anything. You're, yeah, you're done. <laughs> yeah. You can put anything in there. If you fry something up and wrap it in bacon, it really doesn't matter. I you I, I think you're right. I think you yeah you still have a consistency problem, but I I like where you're going with this, oh, especially the jamón that you get in Spain. Uh huh. Goodness. Oh yes. Woohoo! All right. Well, for people who want more from you, just like I am constantly looking for more from you, uh, if they're not going to have a one-on-one conversation with you about death and dying and politics and conscious decisions, but they want to follow along your journeys, whether they're physical, your travel with Betsy, or helping helping others create their plan A life, where would you like people to go, Warren? You can go to anuncluttered.life.com, and we have a weekly podcast, and every week we talk about a different aspect of going after the life that you want, And because life is too short to live a plan B, and so come over, take a look, drop me an email. You can find everything there, because I love, love, love to hear from you guys, and um, Joel's community, you guys have been fantastic, and so if you like Joel, I think I'm going to like you. Ah, uh, well, I like you. I, I, no, 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 no. No, I, well, I'm not going to take that back. I'm going to build upon it. I love you, Warren. Thank you. I love for, you as well, Joel. Uh, thanks for coming on uh, for another episode, just me and you. It was, it was fantastic. Just, uh, just the rambly depth 
meta level conversation that two guys who enjoy the heck out of each other can have. I would like to also, before I leave, I would like to propose a panel conversation on death. How many people? I think four people talking about death, their own thoughts, experiences, uh, and taking ideas and questions. So I think that would be a, a really interesting thing. I, would, I, I am there. I am signing up now because that is a topic that I would love to really get into. Okay. I would really enjoy knowing whether people want more of that too because I'm happy to facilitate it. Uh, the show notes will be at joelsoslowski.com slash SASM107. If you're keen to explore with Warren and I and two other people of which I already know exactly who they are, let us know or uh, send Warren an email and let him know what your thoughts are. We'll get some things cooking around uh, that super taboo topic, which is super fun to talk about. All right. How was that for freewheeling, ride ranging, and uh, downright funky? Warren, by the way, was serious about you connecting with him. And since he won't know that you listen to our episode unless you contact him, catch him on Twitter at Warren Talbot, last name T-A-L-B-O-T, or Warren at anuncluttered.life.com. You may just want to simply listen to his delightful and uncluttered life podcast with his wife, Betsy, until you just you can't help it. You're just totally compelled to strike up a conversation with him. Either way, you're going to win. Now, I invite you to contact me about Warren's idea of a future podcast episode with a panel of people talking about their experiences and thoughts around death and dying, or if you have any general comments, suggestions, concerns around the themes of our conversation, you can do that all in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash SASM107. That's where you will also find links to all the stuff we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness. You will also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzeslowski.com slash support. I can tell my voice is about to give out. Before that happens, I want to give out my genuine gratitude to you for listening to this episode. Share it if you like, uh, meditate it on it, if you will. Just generally remind yourself how quirky I am. As a character in one of my kids' children's books would say, that would be Pete the Cat, Keep walking along and singing your song because it's all good. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zeslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.